read the first uh, 12 or so verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God, sorry, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth through, as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So, um, we might recap some things we've already done uh, and looked at today. Um, so, Paul... Uh, my understanding is that Paul is writing this um, during his first imprisonment in Rome. And so he writes to two churches. I know it's said to the Colossians, but if you read further, you'll see it's to two. It's to Colossae and to Laodicea. And uh, as we looked at earlier on the map, these two places are about 15 to 20 kilometers apart. So you could walk between them down this really nice, beautiful valley in Turkey um, in about half a day. You could get between them. So Paul writes, writes to them from, from prison, and my understanding is that he's never been to Colossae or Laodicea before. So he's never seen them in person um, as a whole church. So there's no Facebook, there's no um, Zoom or anything like this. So he's writing to them, and, and he doesn't really know them in person. But what he, he does have are people from this region of Colossae and Laodicea. And these guys are Epaphras, Onesimus, Archippus, Philemon. And these guys, they either write to or they come and they visit Paul. Um, and they tell him about Colossae, church there. They tell them about Laodicea. And in fact, one of them, Epaphras, even finds himself in chains beside Paul. So it was a cost for them to come and to tell Paul about this church. If you listen carefully, um, usually after the remembrance, you might hear about a new church of God that is planted. Um, or you might know another Christian friend who tells you of a church outside the churches of God that's planted and talks about their joy in the Lord and talks about um, th this new thing that's come about. These group of people who've heard the gospel and they've got together and they're serving the Lord. And we're one with these people in the body of Christ. Those who are saved are, are together. And it's a good thing when we hear about a church that is planted and growing. A couple of years ago, um, in fact, I think it's 2016, the Church of God in Alagbali 
in Nigeria, uh, north of Lagos, was planted. And it's a, a church full of people who've come to Christ. Um, some maybe haven't been in the churches of God before, and they've come in. And they're new to the gospel, and it's exciting, and it's good, and it's uh, something growing. And it's something to give God thanks for. And Mama is here today, and his wife, Elizabeth, and their son, Simon, um, recently moved to the UK. And um, Mama is a, a deacon from Alakbele, and a faithful minister of, of God's word. And so he's come to Newcastle to, to live here for a couple of years, and he has brought with him the news of Alakbele. And he tells us about the saints that are there, and we should really ask more questions, because then we would have a better understanding of what to give thanks to God for. And that's the same here. Um, Epaphras uh, has come to Paul in prison and he's telling him about the church of God in Colossae. And Paul's immediate response is to give thanks to God. The things that um, Epaphras is saying are, are worthy of, of giving praise. So there'll be five challenges. Challenge number one, do we give thanks continually? to God, for new churches of God, um, and, and for the good news that we've heard about them. That's something that we can do. Um, Paul gave thanks because he'd heard about the Colossians' faith in Christ Jesus, and about their love for all the saints. I think that means that they were, they were good at giving gifts, they didn't withhold what was needed, one to the other. When we look in the first things that Paul is praying for, they seem to have a grip on the gospel, on eternal things, on the things to come. I think they had a grasp that Christ would return. Um, we see that there's evidence of spiritual fruit in this church. It's, it's growing. The gospel is being shared. Um, they have an understanding of the grace of God. So no wonder Paul was on his knees and giving thanks to God. This was a really wonderful thing uh, for a man in prison whose life was about the gospel and hearing about Colossae. He couldn't help it. It was thanksgiving to God. And, and, and when you pit that against Paul's other letters, and he's often correcting churches and, and, and reminding them about things that they shouldn't be doing, and here you can just pour out this praise in the first few lines and you just say, well, I give thanks to God for you because of the love in the spirit that I hear that you have and the things that you've caught hold of. Challenge number two. Um, when people hear about the church of God that I'm in and that you're in, can they see the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, of a group of people having an understanding of the grace of God, uh, of a group of people who are living in love and hope? I think turning back to the head that is Christ, as we've been doing today, is a way, if you think that people aren't seeing that, to turn that church around and to be changed. Paul goes one step further, <clears throat> saying that Epaphras has declared to him the Colossians' love in the spirit. So the church was in unity. Um, they, they seemed to be united in this, this love to the saints and love to others. Um, and I think that, would have, that unity continued through into worship as well. They were together in this, uh, and, and they were helping others together. So in, in Newcastle, we've been thinking about this letter as we got ready for today. And Mama highlighted to us this guy Epaphras. You know, something different about this guy. 
Um, one man, one individual, he's changed this whole group of people. Paul picks them out as, you know, Paphras came to me and he's told me of um, your love in the Spirit of God. There must be something about this guy that we can learn, um, that we can bring to our own churches of God. What does the name Epaphras mean? It means lovely. Um, so how poetic of God to bring out in Colossae um, a man who taught love, who, whose very name was called Lovely. And how encouraging to Paul in prison to have a man called Lovely come to him and tell him about a church, Colossae, that was living in love, a love in the spirit of God. No wonder Paul was giving thanks. The final joy for Paul, and we've touched on this, I think, in the first talk this morning, is that the Colossians were the riches of the glory of the mystery hidden for the ages. That was Christ in them, in the Gentiles for which Paul labored. So Paul went off and he said the Gentiles need to hear about the love of God, not just the Jews here in, in Jerusalem. And so for him to see these Colossians who he'd never met, who have come to a fuller understanding of the gospel through people who he, he's taught, come to be revealed as those who are in Christ, those who have received salvation and are the mystery that was in the Gentiles, revealed the glory of God in, in a group of people that were not Jewish, was for him another thing to give thanks for. And, and he's highlighting that in his prayer. Um, Simeon said of, of the Lord Jesus when he held him uh, in Luke 2 and, and 32, he will be a light uh, to bring forth revelation to the Gentiles. Um, and here was the evidence. Uh, a Gentile church um, called out of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of God's love, which is at the end of this prayer. People qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Here was the answer to one of the mysteries that Paul laboured to reveal and to, to, to show. Paul, later on in um, this letter, he, he talks of being in a struggle or a conflict or a burden for this church uh, and for Laodicea. And I think he looks at them like they're a young, innocent child, like a young church. And there's so much potential. They've grasped hold of the love, but uh, there's so much more for them to mature in. Their spiritual maturity has a long way to go. And that's where he comes into, in verse 9 and 10, that his, his prayer is for them to grow in, an, in a knowledge and understanding of the things of God. So the third challenge I had was that it doesn't matter if we're a new Christian or an old Christian, um, there's room to grow in the knowledge of the will of God in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Um, Paul was growing, but he also knew that this young and developing church had a lot of room to grow and a lot of potential for error. And so he's uh, on his knees before the Lord to, to in burden about this. Um, just build, building on that theme, it, it seems quite logical that we should pray for the growth of others in this matter, in the knowledge of God. Um, you know, if, if we think about it, we want the Church of God here in Manchester or in Newcastle or in Alagbale or in, in, in other places in the Northwest to grow in a knowledge of God. But are you actively praying for it? 
You know, Paul here was not just giving thanks, but actively praying in verse 10, uh, daily, I think, while in chains, in suffering, like really from the heart, that they would grow in a knowledge of God's will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So challenge four is, get praying about that, you know? Um, about the, think about the people in church, or in churches you've never been to, and you hear about on a Sunday morning, just planted and growing, or having challenges, and pray that they're growing in a knowledge of God's um, will. Um, a church that is not rooted and grounded in Christ who is the head is at risk. And this is Paul's point. Um, they're at risk from, and we've been looking at this, the worldly philosophy, empty deceit, um, uh, judgment, uh, false humility, worship of idols, um, excessive regulation, neglect of the body. And so Paul wasn't just praying that they had a, a development in the knowledge of the will of God, but that it, it, it had a consequence, and the consequence, or a, a follow-on, and the follow-on was that they would walk worthy of the Lord. They would just have this body of knowledge for no reason that would be an intellectual delight, but they were supposed to actively be changed by it and, and to action it. So, you know, he wanted them to be fully pleasing to him. We just see this down, down the rest of his prayer. He wanted them to increase in, a, in, a, in the knowledge of God. He wanted them to be strengthened. We thought about that strong image of the tree um, bulking out. He wanted them to um, have patience in, in the trials that would be ahead with joy like he had. And he wanted them to be able to give thanks to God for the salvation that they had and have a full grasp of it. So the, the last question I had to, to look at was um, what is it to live a life worthy of the Lord? The, the Christian life should reflect the priority that Christ is the head. And if you go through Colossians, you'll see that believers are rooted in him, alive in him, hidden in him, complete in him. So it would be inconsistent of us as believers to live a life without um, Christ, without him as our head, because... Um, He's completed these things in us. He's working these things out in us. So to walk a life worthy in him is to um, grasp hold of the fact that we are rooted in him, alive in him, hidden in him, complete in him, and then to, to dig into chapter 3, which is um, behaviours that we might take on um, in that aspect. So I think that will be covered later, but it was to, to put on love, to let Christ rule in the heart, and to dwell in the word. These are some of the things that you might take on as you walk a life worthy of the Lord. Putting Christ as your head, because that's what, what you've been equipped for. So the, the final challenge, number five, was am I setting out today to grow in the things of God, to walk worthy of the Lord, to put Christ as preeminent in, in all things? So just to wrap up, I'll go through those five again, and, and that's, that's us. So challenge one, are we giving thanks for the new churches of God that, that we hear about? Challenge two, um, uh, are, are people seeing the evidence of, of Christ as head in the church that we're in? Uh, three, um, there's room for growth. 
as a Christian. And, and Paul wanted the Colossians to grow. Challenge four. Um, are we praying for those around us to be filled with the knowledge of God? And five. Um, am I setting out today to live a life walking uh, worthy of the Lord, putting Christ as preeminent in all things?